Welcome to the Nifty Podcast, presented by Party Fish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all over the world. Film starts here at the virtual Nifty 2020 from Seattle, Washington. My name is Jessica Stoffel, and I was one of your programmers this year. I'm here with the director of The Kitchlets, Clarice, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and how she ended up with this film. Hello, uh, I'm Clarice. I'm the creator of The Kitchlets, which was my fourth year film at CalArts. I just graduated in the spring of 2020, and now I'm a story artist working in L.A. Awesome. And where are you talking to us from today? Uh, Right now, I'm in the Bay Area near San Francisco. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So just to start at the beginning, um, like, where did this idea come from? How long have you had it? Um, Yeah, where did you find your inspiration for this? Yeah, so um, right after finishing my third year film, I was kind of like thinking about the next thing. Uh, And I've always loved mythology. And I think I went on a deep dive into uh, the mythology of brownies, these um, little like elvish sprite characters, because I used to be a brownie as a kid. And when you know, we had all our groups, we were the brownies as a collective, but I was like an elf brownie, there were the pixies, the fairies. So anyway, (laughs) I kind of dived in into what brownies were. And I found out they were these uh, creatures that kind of come out at night to clean your house. And usually they're solo creatures. And diving deeper into that mythology, I found out that every single, almost every single culture around the world had a kind of house deity that took care of the household, whether it was like the Chinese kitchen gods that kind of send, uh, they go up every year to the heavens to tell the Jade Emperor how this household has behaved this year. There's like the Greek goddess of the hearth and all these kind of things. So based on that, I actually wanted to create my own house deity uh, for Singapore, which I originally come from because we don't have too much mythology, I think. So I wanted to bring the magic back to Singapore. And that's how I created the Kitchlets, these kind of beings that kind of live in your kitchen and take care of you. And that's how it started, basically. (laughs) That's such a cool backstory for them. And I I love how you connected it to like mythology and yourself. It's really cool. Um, How did you kind of design these guys because they're such cute little creatures did you draw off of existing other um deities like you said uh I definitely had like a whole bunch of reference somewhere uh you know in the back and I was like what can I pull from these um things and I noticed all of them have hats and (laughs) so I kind of yeah just based on that a lot of them come from either the kitchen or the place back in the day when before they called it kitchens where you had like the hearth I guess so uh yeah based on that I kind of came up the name the kitchlets which was a strange name and I argued with a lot of people about calling it the kitchlets but yes and then I tried to think about what they did and since their main purpose is kind of to clean their bodies I decided were kind of um, in the shape of brooms and they Mm -hmm. sweep with their bodies. And I talked to uh, our character design teacher at school, Danny Hines, and just kind of talking to him about utilizing character design to really show what this character is about. Wow. Yeah, they definitely reflect that. They're so awesome. They remind me of like little Studio Ghibli, adorable 
creatures. <laughs> yeah, definitely inspired by Ghibli in the back of my mind for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, how did you get their little cute voices? Um, is that a person or was that more a computer? That's me. <laughs> um, so the That's voices awesome. was uh, myself, and there were some points where I was like, it can't all be just me. I need like a little bit of variation. So I kind of grabbed a friend and taught her how to do the phone noises, and then I would you go in. Into, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Pro Tools. I would go into Pro Tools and pitch it up just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You want to give us a raw version of your little <laughs> voices? You don't have to. Uh, uh, it's nothing crazy. It's just kind of weird noises like fun. And then for the knee part, I would do this like throaty thing like me. And then I just like tune it up higher. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I love that it's you in it. That's a nice like personal touch as well. Um, and then for your main character, Mina, uh, where did she come from? Is she you? Is she someone you know or just pieces of everyone? Um, the character Mina came from, I guess, over the summer, kind of thinking, what um, can I do with this uh, world with the house deities that I created? And I guess she stems from a place, a personal place, about being scared to realize your full potential in a way and just kind of like wanting more but being afraid to get that more. So she's, yeah, she's kind of based off myself. <laughs> she's a little bit based off um, Singaporeans that I grew up with uh, a little bit. Something about her character design is her hair that only sweeps one way, which is kind of how my hair goes on a bad hair day. I really <laughs> wanted that for her. And, <laughs> and yeah, uh, her big forehead is just kind of reflecting how there's a lot going on in her head and there's a lot of space for that stuff to ooze out. So yeah, yeah, she's kind of, um, and how short she is, even though she's not like five or anything, how small she is, is just a reflection of, um, yeah, how she feels, I guess. I loved when the man comes to the door with the groceries and you really realize how small she is <laughs> after her just being alone. Makes her really cute. Um, but I love the the story side of it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I wanted to make Deepak like huge, even unrealistically tall, <laughs> just to emphasize that. Yeah, and it's perfect for animation that you can mess with that like look of it. It really added a little extra magic to your story. <laughs> Thank you. Just about your sprites and how Mina interacts with them. I feel like sometimes when you're telling a story of magical things in the real world, the humans don't know that they're there. But Mina knows about them and directly interacts with them. And did you pull that from mythology? Or how did you decide that she would know her own little sprites are in the house? That was something I debated for for a while. There was a version of the story where she didn't know the Kitchlets existed. But maybe this was kind of inspired by a lot of Miyazaki's worlds as well, where you don't explain everything and these characters you just kind of dive into a world where the magic exists and there's no like main character to kind of introduce the magic to you. And I think I wanted a world like that and almost the Mina and house deity relationship to be more of a cohabitant pet and owner relationship. And I think they're um, 
Yeah, I wanted, I wanted something to that, to like a character that exists in a world where magic does exist. And um, yeah, I just wanted to create this world. <laughs> yeah, I think it adds another layer of, like you said, the pet and owner relationship is a really interesting take for like house gods. Um, but just forcing Mina to look at herself through these sprites was really interesting to watch. And I'm glad she was aware that they were there. <laughs> <laughs> when you're directing animation, so how much of it is you physically drawing, animating, or and how much is your supporting team coming in and helping you out with your drawings and your coloring and everything like that? Yeah, um, so this was a student film I did at Cal Arts. Uh, and the thing about CalArts is every single student um, in the animation program is kind of expected to make a film on their own, and there's no team. I understand in other schools, you might, uh, during your thesis year, get a team to work with and people kind of uh, designate uh, roles. Maybe there's one guy who's more has a more directorial position. But yeah, at CalArts, it's all... Um, kind of on us and up to us how much we want to collaborate with each other and how much we want to really just make our own piece. So yeah, um, for this film, <clears throat> this was the longest film I've ever made at CalArts, about seven minutes long. So I did in the end need um, some help from my peers and I have some like great, uh, great friends who are really talented in animation and they helped me with some of the more uh, tricky shots but yeah just like most of um, my friends who also work on their own films we we make up the own story on our own we kind of discuss with each other how we can make our stories the best that it can be and then we go into full production where most of the work kind of goes down to you as the creator and then you have friends who finish their films early and they can help you color and yeah, if you have like really tricky shots and you're not the best animator, you could ask the help of your animator friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. I love the collaboration, but I'm glad it's still like your film, your own, not forced to share it with anyone. That's that's really personal. <laughs> yeah, this is the great thing about CalArts that it's not, um, you are allowed to make whatever you want to make and you get that opportunity, but you still get a space to kind of discuss with friends mm -hmm. and really make the best uh, version of the film to convey to the world. This is like a little bit of a challenging story as she's struggling with, you know, the metaphor for depression and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So was it ever challenging to bring other people on? Was it a harder story to tell or did you just feel totally ready and you wanted to bring people on board to help? And just with any uh, personal story that a person makes, I feel like it's kind of, um, you are nervous about introducing that to um, to people. So it wasn't difficult per se because it was my fourth year. I had these friends who I trusted and could, you know, convey my feelings to. And it was real. Um, this <clears throat> film was really special because I went in thinking in my head that Mina is this character, she's kind of going through this particular thing, but every time I showed it to a different person, they were able to put themselves in Mina and kind of, it ranged from, oh, it's just someone having a bad day to depression to anxiety, and I really like that about Mina. And yeah, through um, 
showcasing her to different people, I found that out. So I'm glad that um, I did and, you know, found out that the film was working in that regard. Yeah, that's interesting that everyone saw something different, um, but it makes total sense when you watch it. It's nice that you can put yourself in her apartment and live her little day. <laughs> oh, would you like to talk about what the um, exactly what the Four Fear Project is at CalArts? Just quickly what the, the prompt is so we get a better understanding. Oh, yeah. Um, so at CalArts, there's a... Uh... It's great because there's never any prompt. Every year, there's no prompt. And there are, uh, I guess, pros and cons to that, depending on who you are. But really, from the first year, you dive in and the teachers are like, you're making a film. And everyone's like, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Through your first year, you struggle and you make mistakes. You hate it and then you love it and then you hate it again. And then the second year, uh, you make another film. The third year, you make another film and then... Yeah, I I loved the whole um, experience personally because I just wanted, I had all these stories in my head and every year, um, you know, I have something really exciting to make and I love that there was no prompt, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how it works at CalArts. It's really free. You, you don't even need to make a film every year. You could make a film over a two year period if that's like what it takes to get your vision out there. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's nice. So when did you first start working on, on this idea? Was it floating around or did you kind of kick into it in your fourth year? Um, I think it was the end of third year where I was kind of thinking, what's my next thing? Uh, what um, what's, What am I going to mm-hmm. make next year? And I think it was the brownie, kind of just researching on brownies right. that kind of sparked the world. And then just over the summer, what I usually do is I'm just thinking of what to do next year and slowly it evolved into the kitchlets. <laughs> when I was re-watching it actually what impressed me is is how much story you packed into seven minutes and I know you say this is like the longest film you've ever made but I feel like I don't know it's almost like I was watching a longer film than I actually was um, so in your writing process did you struggle to to put so much into it or did it did you have to cut it down did you have to make it longer how did it evolve? I think it started off like as a 10 page script, Mm -hmm. I think, especially because it's not very dialogue heavy. So there um, through my script, I always for myself, at least try to describe the space and what the characters are doing, which might not. I don't know if most like professional scripts work that way. But yeah, um, it definitely was at one point longer than seven minutes. And the, the reason um, I stopped it at seven minutes was because CalArts does have a show that they do every year called the Producer Show. And to be eligible to be a part of it each year, there's um, a criteria in terms of length of the film. So for your fourth year, the maximum uh, time limit is seven minutes. And I think third year, it's around four minutes, 30 seconds, and it gets a little shorter as you go down. Uh, but yeah, it used to be, I think, almost eight minutes. And I feel like the time limit uh, requirement for this producer show does, in a way, help storytelling because you kind of pick and choose and you really think, what do I need to tell this story and what's just fluff? 
what's um yeah so through that process I was able to like show different people things and ask them like was there any point in the film where you thought maybe this is not necessary or this part's taking too long and really just kind of shave it <laughs> to the seven minute mark time limits I think they feel annoying in the moment but then you finish the film and it's like okay <laughs> it was good and you did an awesome job of packing in just so much of your whole story into such a little time so I was I noticed that on my second watch and I loved it thank you um, but now that you've finished this project and you're I, uh, moving on as a story artist kicking into new projects do you have any lessons that you're taking from the kitchlets or any techniques that you picked up that you want to use in the future the Kitchlets was the first time I actually got more people on board to collaborate in terms of uh, the production process because it was a lot longer. Um, yeah, and I learned a lot about communication and also halfway through production, everyone had to go home uh, because of uh, COVID. And all of a sudden it was like all these people, I could just roll my chair towards and be like, hey, could you help me? It was like... Mm -hmm. I had to call them, um, Zoom and text them. And yeah, just kind of that process of learning how to communicate effectively and really being very grateful of my friends who do communicate well. Yeah, I think that was one of the big things I learned this um, through making the Kitchlets communicate. Mm -hmm. and, and definitely through COVID as well, I'm sure, <laughs> being forced. Um. At what point in the film did you have to go home or when Callers closed? I think it closed in, um, I want to say March. I want to say March. It closed mm -hmm. in early March. And I started most of my first semester, uh, the fall semester, I used to uh, create the film and create the film in terms of like the script, the story and the storyboards. And I think production for me usually starts at the end of fall in December-ish, <clears throat> all the way till April, the end of April. So I think we left, um, we had to leave school early March. Yeah. So it's kind of in the crunch of the animation process. Like, what do you do to adapt to that? Do you have everything you need at home or are you... The school helped out a lot. Um, I was lucky enough to get a Cintiq from the school a few years ago when they uh, were kind of reselling out their old Cintiqs for a much cheaper price, and I got one. So I was lucky enough to have that with me. And um, yeah, kind of with some money from the school f through a grant, I had like a data space to use and yeah, I was able to uh, work from home. It was difficult because the atmosphere is much different. It, and, you know, all your friends are also struggling uh, trying to work from their homes. I think, uh, yeah, the school was trying their best to give out um, equipment to people who needed it. Yeah. But yeah, um, I don't know, kind of having the film uh, at the back of my head every day and also knowing having something to do, like waking up and being like, I have a film to make really helped me personally through uh, the process. I felt like if I didn't have anything to do, it would have been harder. And mm -hmm. making the film got me excited. I really wanted people to see this and I wanted to finish it. So yeah, that helped me have something to look forward to or work towards, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's March, you're home in your room, 
mm-hmm. animating. <laughs> Did you feel a little bit like Mina alone in her apartment? Yes. Uh, the, <laughs> um, but uh, I, w- I was actually, I had roommates at the time, three other roommates. So it was almost like a weird camp for us. having. So they were your three little kitchlets. <laughs> almost that's funny they <laughs> they helped me out along the way and yeah COVID is crazy because I would spend so much time at school animating and working till really late at night and my roommates always they are they're also in the animation program they talked about never seeing me they only see me like kind of come home to fall asleep and COVID really made me get to know them more and see them and get frustrated by them but also have like the time of my life with uh, my roommates but yeah mm-hmm. so yeah they are kind of it's kind of weird that you <laughs> that. since there's three of them yeah <laughs> all right well before we go I'll just let you um I'd love to hear what you're working on next and I know it's not prime time to create stuff but what are you excited about right now yeah, so um, I'm working as a story artist in LA, and we're working on this film. I'm excited uh, for people to see that. But I also I'm working on my own shorts still. I don't. There's shorts that I hope to maybe pitch to studios, and also one that I don't want to be limited by studios. So I hope I'll be able to find some time after work to kind of work on another personal project, kind of like you know working at school where there were really close to no limitations and now even more so without like school requirements. So yeah, excited for that. Yay. And where can we find you online to follow along? Yeah. Um, you can find me on, uh, Instagram. Uh, I haven't been posting too much recently, but on Instagram, I have, um, some sketches there on Clawise, a C-L-A-W triple E-S-E. Um, and I have a Vimeo page, Clarice Chua. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you want some more information on Nifty 2020, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, you can check out nifty.org, or you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY, or on Instagram at NiftyFilm. And then for more podcasts from Party Fish Media, you can search Party Fish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Party Fish Media. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And thank you, Clarice. Thank you very much. Party Fish Media Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.